Welcome to the Value Perspective podcast on decision-making. We're a group of value investors working together on the global value team here at Schroders. As investors, we have to tackle decision-making in uncertain environments every day. In this podcast series, we speak to people from other walks of life who also share the challenge of making decisions in complex and uncertain environments. We cover topics such as how to think in probabilities, tools for overcoming psychological biases, and how we can learn and improve decision-making in complex environments. We hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. In today's episode, we're delighted to have Hannah Mills joining us. She's one of the world's leading sailors. And if she wins another gold medal in Tokyo, she'll become the most successful female Olympic sailor ever. We're also joined by another of the UK's best sailors and Sophie Ainsworth, who competed at the Rio Olympics and recently joined Schroders. Lastly, I'm Simon Adler, one of the fund managers on the value team and also an extremely average sailor. Thank you very much for joining us, Hannah. We're hoping to learn a lot about decision-making with this. And so with that, why don't you kick us off, Sophie? Hannah, in your Olympic campaign, can you tell us why decision-making is so integral, both on and off the water? Yeah, definitely. So um, our Olympic campaign is in four-year cycles, so that's obviously a pretty long time span. But um, I think... For us, off the water, making decisions is, is unbelievably important because it helps focus what we do on the water. And in that four-year campaign, allows us to reach the Olympics at the end of that, um, which is a one-week period where we have to get everything exactly right. And it's kind of do or die. So, yeah, off the water, we make decisions around our fitness training, around what we focus on on the water, around our equipment choices um, with sailing. You can choose different boats, you can choose different sails, you can choose different masts, um, you can choose a different teammate in my instance. Um, so there's lots of decisions to be made off the water. And then on the water, ultimately, where the money's made, I guess, um, we make decisions around the race course. And that's very much in the moment, very much with the facts we're presented about the wind, about the course, you know, where the course is, where the other boats are. Yeah, just sort of in the moment facts that you, you kind of figure out in your head what's the most important, where to put your priorities. And then you make the decision based on all those different factors as to what's going to give you the most beneficial result that race. Um, but ultimately, we're looking for consistency with sailing. Our, our events are a week long. We have 10 different races throughout that week um, and the scores all add up. So it's not just about that one shining moment where you win a race. It's about putting consistency throughout the week getting consistent results sounds like quite the process how important do you think this is to your success i think it's everything i think um you know ultimately when you get to the olympics everyone is an amazing sailor everyone's an amazing sports person everyone's put in the hours they put in the time but to me what makes the difference is is how you make your decisions and having the right mental state to be able to make those decisions when you're under so much pressure of this is it, you know, this is your only week in the four years to deliver. So, um, yeah, the ability to make clear, level-headed decisions and under that massive pressure is, is everything um, to, to success. And how, how good at those decisions do you think you are? Do you, are you able to kind of say, I get 90% of them right, 40% of them right, 60%? If you're trying to think about it 
in those kind of terms and and how do you think that's changed over time have you got better at that do you think with experience i'd say 100 percent. i've got better luckily <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah i I've, i would say i probably get 60 to 70 percent of the decisions right but what makes the difference is the ability to recognize when you've potentially made the wrong decision and be able to very quickly address that and figure out the next best option as to what's going to still give you a reasonable result and a reasonable outcome and, and not make a huge loss in that race or, or whatever it is. Um, so it's the ability to rectify decisions that I think has got better as well as actual decision making. Mm. And how have you, you say you've got better, you think, over time. How do you think you have got better? Have you got a process to learn or, or how does that work? Yeah, I've, I've definitely got better at making the decisions I find hard um, when it comes to racing, making those decisions better. So I'll give you an example. So, for example, on the, on the start line, you know, all these 20 boats that we're racing against are all lined up. And I could decide to start away from all the other boats in a big gap on the start line. So I know we're going to get off, off the start line and have a really clear easy start to the race but ultimately that puts me at risk all the other boats are starting together if the wind shifts their way they're all going to be ahead of me so it's quite a risky place to start but I quite like the feeling of the freedom of having the big gap where something I've got a lot better at over the last four years is putting myself in that more challenging starting position in the mix with all the other boats so that at least I'm in the race if the wind does shift and and that's that's something I found hard and we've practiced a lot in training is just forcing myself to start in the mix in the challenging position so that when it comes to the racing well it really matters i know i can do it and i know it's ultimately going to give me a more consistent result and and that's interesting because that's ultimately i guess a, a bias that you've recognized you've got that you found a way to try and avoid are there many others that you've got that you've, you've still got more you know you've got more work to do and or are there other ones that you found similar techniques and, and ways to avoid yeah there's definitely more um definitely more around the race course that I recognize and I think that's experience I guess just becoming more analytical about sort of looking at yourself your biases and what you tend to do and, and whether they're good tendencies or whether they're bad tendencies um, and and then figuring out ways to address them and, and make them better if, if you think they're not very good tendencies so yeah there's a whole host um, some of which I've managed to rectify some of which we'll still be working on in the next year up until the Olympics. And, and those kind of ones you're talking about are kind of not quite anecdotal, but you're talking about them in ways that you've, you've recognised over time you like to have the clean air at the beginning, so the space at the start line, but now you're trying to be in the mix. Is there any way you can look at uh, data or, or look at things more objectively to say, you know, the evidence is I'm always quicker in this position than in that position, or I'm particularly rubbish at these mark roundings, but good at those. Is there any ways you can use data to help you or, or coaches? Um, yeah, so we can really easily use a lot of data to kind of help us identify areas that um, potentially are, are weak for us. And one of those areas is data from our first mark. Um, so we start the race, we do our first leg of the course, and then we go around the mark. And we know that to get a medal at the Olympic Games, we need to be in the top third of the fleet at that one mark. So, for example, if there's a let's make it easy, <laughs> a 15 boat fleet, we need to average fifth at that windward mark. And we know that we need to keep moving forward throughout the race um, to, to get the result we need. So um, every regatta our coach takes these women mark roundings, gives us the average. And that gives us a really clear indication on a few things. Firstly, our starting strategy, whether we've got that right throughout the week. 
Secondly, our speed um, on the first leg, uh, have we got good speed? Um, and thirdly, it gives us a good comparison to our, our main rivals, our other competitors, because he also collects their data. And so it shows us some of their strengths and weaknesses as well. So that's one way we use kind of a collection of data. Okay. It's all really interesting, Anne. There's two of you in the boat. How do you use each other to make these decisions? So, yeah, as you said, there's two of us in the boat um, and we have very clear roles and responsibilities. And I guess I'd view it as I ultimately make the final decision. I'm the helm, I've got the, the rudder, the tiller in my hand, I steer, um, so I, I say where we go. So I, I make the final decision, but my, my teammate, Ailey McIntyre, she, um, she kind of feeds me in the facts. So she gives me the wind facts, the fleet facts, you know, where the other boats are, the course facts, our speed facts. She kind of just gives all of those as almost a monologue um, as to what's happening. And then I process that and I decide ultimately where we go. So that's how we split it up. There's many different ways you can do it in sailing, but that, that just seems to work really well for us. And how do you keep that process robust under pressure? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and definitely there's times where it gets a bit out of whack. Um, and what we've got really good at is recognising in each other the signs for when one of us is a bit off key or, or, or trying to do someone else's job, which, which can happen. And we've got really good at recognising in each other and we've got really good keywords that we say to each other to try and snap us back into the moment and get us back on task and not distracted by either other boats, by the moment, you know, the fact that it's do or die, everything's riding on these decisions. Yeah, so that's, that's how we work it together. So do you use each other to balance the short-term decision-making with your long-term tactics? Yes, we do. I think Ailey, her role is, is very much factual and the big picture, uh, we like to call it. So, you know, focusing on something bigger than just the here and now and, and the immediate decision making. So kind of making sure that I can make those those immediate decisions, but I'm not going to be tripped up by something that's about to happen in 10 minutes time because she's clocked it and she's got it and she's going to deliver that bigger picture information to me when I'm in a space that I can process it and, and it can be listened to and, and I can take it all in. So Hannah, when you're making decisions and as you say, you've got very clear responsibilities as to what what you and your partner are doing you'd say that you know you may hopefully get 60 percent ish right when you make a mistake and it's clear there's a mistake or when your partner makes a mistake and it's clear how do you deal with that in terms of protecting the relationship look you know at that moment in the boat but also you know for the next year and a half to get you into tokyo yeah um good question <laughs> definitely i think there's definitely a a vision that we both have of ourselves as a team and how we want to behave towards each other and together and, and, and there's a very strong alliance that you know neither of us can do this without the other person so you know if someone's made a mistake that's all well and good you you look at that mistake you talk about it when it's the right time so probably not straight away um, unless it has to be dealt with straight away for whatever reason but usually we we wait till we're off the water we're, we've relaxed a bit and we can sort of look at the decision or, or mistake objectively. And yeah, there's the sort of vision that bonds us together that we always come back to if there's, if there's a disagreement or if, you know, we feel like one of us is off track or, or whatever, then we come back to that vision that, um, that we're in this together and 
I can't do it without Ailey, Ailey can't do it without me. And ultimately we're both pushing as hard as we possibly can to try and win a gold medal. So there is no benefit to us not getting along and, and, and disagreeing over something because there's always a solution and there's always a way to be better and there's always things we can improve on together. So, yeah. And you've, you sail with a, a number of people over your career, but you started off sailing by yourself. Most sailors do start single-handed sailing and then you move into two. How, how difficult did you find that transition uh, originally? And, and is that something also that you think you've got better at over time? Yeah, I found, well, I kind of loved it. I was about 15 when I started sailing with, with another person in a boat. And um, at the time, I just loved it because, because it was so much fun. You know, you're young, you're just chatting a lot, you're having a laugh, you're learning. And I loved that team environment and the fact that you bounce off of each other. You know, when you're feeling a bit unmotivated, the other person can really bring you up and support you. And, and you can learn so much from another person being so close in your kind of sphere. As I got older, I definitely started to feel a bit of frustration, perhaps, um, with having to rely on somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. That is a challenge, I think, as a very single-minded, competitive person, that, that can be quite hard. And then I sort of got to a point where I started to think about how I could thrive in that environment and how I could use that other person to make myself better because whoever's in your team they're going to offer you something. They're going to teach you something. And, um, and if you're in a team sport, you need them, you need them to be on their top form and you need you to be on their top form. And, and I guess that realization of how beneficial a team can be. And it's not, I guess it's not just our two people in the boat. There's the whole British sailing team supporting us. And I've definitely got a lot better at, at using that support more wisely and bringing the relevant specialists in when we need them to help us improve in different areas, whether it's psychology, whether it's fitness, whether it's nutrition, whether it's our communication, teamwork, all those different things. And I guess, I guess I've just got much, much better at, um, at relying on other people and trusting other people and not being quite so sort of single-minded and a bit controlling probably. <laughs> and on the psychology point, you say that people can come in and help you on that. An investment is you know, exceptionally important to try and get the psychology right and, and make your decisions as objectively as possible. How has psychology helped you and, and what's it been about? Yeah, it's helped me massively, actually, in so many different ways. I think, I think what it offers is um, almost a telescope, telescopic view. I'm not sure that's the right word, but mm-hmm. it offers you another view of yourself um, and another way to look at yourself and another way to look at how you go about things how you make decisions how you whatever it is it offers you another view and um i found that really useful and we've done a lot of sort of sessions on ourselves our own brain we've done things like insights and spotlight sort of questionnaires i'm sure you guys have done stuff like that before as Mm -hmm. well and and then we go through it as our team so myself ailey and our coach joe will all sit down with the psychologist and we'll go through it all and we'll learn about each other and each other's tendencies and strengths and weaknesses and the best way to help the other person or the other teammate if um if they're having a tough day so that's been really really beneficial for us as a team to kind of figure out where our potential black spots are um that we could we could fall down if both of us are having an off day um in terms of our decision making i've also found it's been really really helpful for for ultimately making good decisions and getting in the right headspace i think 
the more I've done, the more I've realized if you're not in the right headspace, you can't make good decisions. Um, and you need to know for yourself what that headspace looks like, um, particularly when it's under pressure and in a sort of pressure cooker environment, it's very easy to fall out of that right headspace. So I found it really, really helpful for that as well. And when you're talking to kind of bringing some of those strands together, when you're talking about making those decisions, you've talked a lot about, you know, you've got psychology helping, you've got your partner helping, you've, you've got more experience and, and gained data over time. Has that led to a change in the way you actually make the decisions at the critical points, whether you've introduced processes or whether it's still in basically natural? How do, how's that balanced between natural versus forcing yourself to have some kind of process to maybe slow you down or, or kind of try and address the biases? I think it's, it's definitely still a mixture of, of natural and process and, and um, sort of forcing yourself to make the sensible, logical decisions. And definitely when the pressure comes on, um, that's when I fall back a bit more to the sort of process and forcing myself to make what I know are the sensible, right, unrisky decisions, but ultimately, you know, you're not going to win an Olympic Games if you just do that. You're going to need to be able to recognise those moments where your gut and your heart are still telling you, actually, you need to take a bit more of a risk here and you need to put yourself out there and you need to trust yourself that you are good at what you do and, and take, those, take those risks when, when you need to. So it's, it's, it's still a mixture. And I'm going to see if Sophie's got any questions at the moment, but the, the one I was just interested when you, so you kind of have the safe place and the, and the let's put tone up the risk place. Mm-hmm. Do you have a view as to whether you're better at decision-making when you're in the safe place or whether you're in the, you know, here's, a, here's an opportunity, I'm going to take a risk here. Hmm. I think when you're in the safe place, your ability to bounce back from a bad decision is better. Um, so, you know, if you make one mistake, you're likely to then make the next decision the right one. Whereas when I'm a bit more in my sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but you're kind of less rigid decision-making state where you're a bit more risk, risk-taking, risk I think if you make a mistake, it's much easier to make another mistake. Um, and it kind of can compound the issue a bit more. Is probably how I'd look at it. Yeah, really interesting. So Han, you talked about the insights and personality. Can you tell us what you are? <laughs> I can describe what I am. I've actually just done it again because I've, I have found that over the years you, you change. Obviously, we all change as people. Um, and I'm sure I do it very much from a sailing point of view and what I'm like when I'm sailing. And when I'm not sailing, I'm definitely probably a slightly different version. But when I'm sailing, I'm um, sort of ready yellow. Um, I think the yellow part comes from being a team and, and the ability to kind of make that team a fun, enjoyable, relaxed space when it needs to be. And then the red part is obviously the competitive driven, sort of quite single minded part of me that comes out. probably. Yeah, you did speak about some frustration when you were a younger sailor um, and you then talked to us about having an optimal mindset and working with the psychologist for that. For your best decision-making, are there any skills that you deploy? Yeah, I do do quite a lot of um, sort of visualisation um, before the start. I think when I've assessed the wind, seeing what type of condition it's going to be, what type of race course it's going to be, because 
ultimately when we're sailing you can get quite a stable race course where the wind's not moving that much or you can get a kind of wacky race course where the wind's coming in all different directions there's lots of wind on one side not so much on the other side and it's a bit more snakes and ladders wacky racing so there's a few different types of race course that we faced and um, once I've assessed it and looked at it I start to visualize good races where I've made really good decisions and what I've been like when I've done that and the kind of mindset I've had you know am I attacking um, am I passive am I aggressive um, am I reactive all those different sort of words and um, we actually have call cards we call them call cards on the boat for those different types of conditions that we look at before the race with those words on so that I can easily get myself into the right mindset to kind of make the right decisions for that type of race course. Okay, we've spoken quite a lot about good decisions and optimal ones. Are there any bad decisions that you still think about? Yeah, there is. Uh, probably the biggest one that still haunts me is um, the London 2012 Olympics. It was the final race and we went into that race where we'd already won the silver medal. Uh, we were guaranteed silver. We were basically joint on points for the gold medal. And it was a short final race, just the top 10 boats were in this race and it was worth double points. Um, usually for first place, you get one point. In this race for first place, you get two points. So um, worth double points. And yeah, we were basically tied with the, the boat in the gold medal position and it was kind of who beats who in this race. And uh, we had control of them at the start. Um, we were sort of, leading them out and we got off the start line in a really great position with the rest of the fleet um, and they'd got a really bad start so they'd gone the opposite way to us sort of behind the fleet but we got a bit stuck sort of entangled with everybody else and we couldn't go with them and um, ultimately they ended up getting a, a big wind shift and they came in miles ahead of us and that was that was it gold medal gone and I definitely look back on that whole that whole kind of race and lead up to that race and just think there's so many what ifs, but the biggest thing was our preparation and going through scenarios of what if this happened? What if that happened? What would we do? How would we respond? We just, we just didn't do that. And I look back and think what idiots we were for not thinking about this. And, um, and I look back and the solution was simple. We should have just stopped with them let the rest of the fleet go because actually it didn't matter where we came in that race we just had to beat that other boat um and, and battled it out with them at the back and that would have been enough but the racer in me in that in that split second moment was oh we've got a clear start let's go let's get off the line let's be ahead of them but yeah so that's that's probably my biggest sort of regret um uh, <laughs> and haunting decision sounds like a pretty brutal race but you did still get a silver medal we did, we did, um, but it definitely felt like we'd, we'd lost the gold medal that day rather than won the silver. I think we'd, um, we'd already had a day to come to terms with the fact that we'd guaranteed ourselves a silver medal. So that day was all about winning the gold and yeah, we, we didn't do that. You had quite a contrasting race when you went into the medal race of Rio already having won gold. When you were on the start line of that race, were you thinking about your decision making then? No. So, yeah, so we had yeah, that exact race, the final race, um, you know, it's 10 boats, it's double points. We'd already got far enough ahead of the rest of the fleet, like so said, so that um, we couldn't be overtaken. We just had to finish the race and that was it. Uh, but the, probably 
the dark the dark side of my brain came out a little bit that race and I started panicking about all sorts of things because to me we hadn't won the gold medal until it was around our necks um and we had to finish that race and it was quite windy and I started panicking like what if something broke what if we capsized and we couldn't finish the race blah 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 you know all the sort of bad thoughts that are so unlikely to happen but you just can't help yourself thinking so ultimately we just started that race at the back and tried to just cruise around at the back out of everybody's way um and just nurse ourselves around so we we finished um yeah you said you make good decisions in the safe place yep and so yeah you went for the safe place yeah yeah i guess so yeah just stay out the way at the back <laughs> yeah, yeah and when you think about that that more difficult time in london when you prepare for regattas now clearly a, a kind of match race scenario is is not that common a scenario and you've got to use your time sensibly so how do you practically balance taking the lesson that you learned which was maybe about preparation but also trying to you know be efficient with your time preparation yeah it definitely i would say even though that scenario of, of a who beats who is is quite rare in sailing i would say the lessons we took from from getting that wrong and, and what preparation was, we definitely took into our next campaign for Rio. And, and I think it really changed my attitude and, and how I prepare for big events, particularly um, in terms of the detail. I think, you know, we were so detail focused in terms of making sure all the things that we could control were dealt with and weren't going to be an issue because sailing is full of things we can control and full of things we can't control. And, uh, and to have all the things you can control sorted and ticked off almost just releases a big part of you and a big part of your energy to be able to deal with the things you can't control. Um, and so I definitely think that that changed a lot in me after that experience in, in London going forward to Rio. So do you think what you've learned from decision making on the water and in your Olympic campaign you've taken into the rest of your life? Yes, in a way, I would say definitely. I do think the ability, I think the ability to logically look at things and sort of go through them in an ordered fashion enables you to make decisions in everyday life as well and to make them better. Um, I think we all have times where we're just exhausted and we don't have the mental capacity and you just want someone else to make a decision for you. But definitely with the big decisions in life, it's given me the skills to be able to think about all the facts think about all the things we don't know and then weigh, weigh all that up and then try and make a reasonable decision so i definitely think it's the really important skills to have and still really useful for everyday life if not just your workplace i would agree any, any examples of uh, better life decisions you think you've made this year than you might have made <laughs> 10 years ago yeah well this year has been mental hasn't it for everyone um so many uncertainties and so many unknowns and I think um, for me the big the big challenge was uh, the Olympic Games getting moved um, you know as athletes we're always told the Olympic Games moves for no one um, and your start date is your start date so be ready uh, and then it was moved so that was kind of nuts um, and I think how I dealt with that and and the process I went through to deal with that and, and ultimately make the right decision in terms of of carrying on um, for another year and how I was going to approach that year in, in the right way, in a positive way. I think the process of being able to do that um, 
if I'd had to do that eight years ago or four years ago, I think it would have been a lot harder and I would have struggled a lot more. And I think mentally I would have really struggled with the unknowns and the uncertainty and the change of what's happened this year. Cool. Any other questions, Sophie? No, I just completely agree with what Hannah says. On a, I guess, on a personal friendship, she's incredibly good at looking at perspective and the facts and giving you the best advice possible. I think so. <laughs> yeah, great. So the, the final question we have asked all our guests is, is there a book you'd particularly recommend people read? Well, based on decision-making, I've actually just got a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which got recommended to me. So... I'm going to recommend it because the person who recommended it to me is, is a very smart, good person. But I've not, um, I've not got it yet. But I, it's it's on its way. So maybe I'll in the reviews I'll leave a comment. <laughs> it's it's an exceptional book. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. There you go. Um, it gets heavier <laughs> yeah, as you go through, but it's uh, it's definitely worth reading, and it's uh, yeah one of the best books I think I've ever read. So enjoy it. Amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well. Hannah, thank you very much for your time. That was incredibly interesting for us and I'm sure the listeners will think likewise. So all there is to do is to thank you again. Thank you, Sophie, for coming in with the insightful understanding of sailing questions and wishing you all the very best for Tokyo. Hope it goes very well for you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Hannah.